Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Good Life Podcast with Mike Safosnick. The show can now be found on iTunes by searching Mike Sappho. There'll be no opening monologue about sports tonight on how Kentucky's playing right now. No travel talk about my trip down to Kentucky, hanging out with Coach Cal Perry, my recent trip to Columbia, or my upcoming trip next month to Argentina or Brazil. Let's get the show started right now because our guest is on hold, calling in all the way from Thailand. He's one of the two chefs that a few weeks ago I said I needed to interview. I'm really dying to, stepping out of my comfort zone of sports athletes and authors. So let's welcome to the show, James Beard Award winner. I know he's not going to like this, but we'll call him a celebrity chef, owner of the world famous, and I was there last Friday, Pock Pock Restaurant, and beyond an intriguing dude. Welcome finally to the show, Andy Ricker. What's going on, Andy? Uh, not much. I'm I'm here in Chiang Mai, uh, Thailand. It's about uh, 8.30 in the morning, and it's a beautiful day. I appreciate you calling in. Oh, to be back in Thailand. I was just there for the first time for three weeks in October. It's magical there. How long are you, uh, how long are you there each year? Uh, I, I come many times a year, probably two or three times, depending on how busy I am back in the States, but I typically come and stay for between uh, five and eight weeks at a time. Now, at this point in your life, is it only Chiang Mai, or do you venture to other places? Well, I, I have, um, just to give you a little background, I, I spend uh, I split my time between Los Angeles and Portland and New York at the moment, and Chiang Mai is actually just another stop on that. I, I have a life here at much the same way I have a life in, uh, in the United States. So when I travel here, it's not really uh, a, a vacation or a uh, holiday or anything like that. It's just another part of my life. So in Chiang Mai, I, you know, I have a life here. I've got a house and I've got some cats. We just bought a, we just bought a piece of land out in the country. We're renovating an old Thai house out there. So there's that part. But I also... Um, try to travel around a bit while I'm here. Uh, lately, it's mostly been in, in the north, but uh, other times I'll go to Isan or to Laos or down south. I spend some time in Bangkok as well. Now, Andy, I don't even know where to start with you because there's really so much I want to talk about, but i got to start with the generic. What's the fascination, not just with Thai food, because I get that, but the northern Thai food that made you I guess so fascinated with it or intrigued that you want to open a restaurant just specializing in it. Well, I, I think that uh, probably the best way to answer that is that, that I was at the right place at the right time at a particular sort of formative part of my life. I, I came here, uh, I'd been to Thailand in 1987 as a backpacker and hung out on the beaches, but I came up to Chiang Mai in 1992 uh, to visit an old friend of mine who was living here. And he and his wife introduced me to local food, and it just, you know, I was at a particular time in my life where I was kind of a sponge, and uh, it, it's 
who knows what 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 it is that that uh, really grabs <clears throat> somebody by the throat and says, "Hey, this is what you're. This is something that you're interested in." I it, it was just uh, I don't know how to explain it exactly. It could have been could have been something else, but it just so happened that it was it was uh, Thailand. It was Northern Thai food, and probably the key was that I was introduced to something that is pretty hard to um, decipher or see yourself without help from somebody else. Uh, and, and that was probably why uh, it, it became such an obsession. Now, you mentioned you went there in 87 for the first time. I don't think Thailand was as big as a tourism spot then as it, as it is now. What's the biggest difference you see from going back and forth from 87 now to, we'll say, 2006? Well, Thailand has... Um, I think the first time I went in 87, they were going through kind of their second big sort of uh, tourism push. They've gone through various different campaigns to get tourists to come to Thailand over the years. And that was kind of the second one. And at that point, there was a fair amount of infrastructure here. There were guest houses, beach bungalows were in place, but they were rudimentary. Like you go to Koh Samui and the beach was uh, was you know, there's still fishermen in the morning and the, the bungalows were made out of bamboo. There were discotheques, but they were made out of bamboo, right? So that the, 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 what we're seeing now, which is massive development and a lot more money, uh, just kind of happened as a natural progression from that. So what you've seen happen in Thailand over the last, well, let's count that out. That's, that's 30 years, right? 1987? Yep. Yeah, it's just a, a lot more influx of money and uh, progress and technology. The economy has gone through a couple of flip-flops. So really, you know, what you're seeing is is a country that went from being a developing nation to one that has Hello Kitty and, and Super <laughs> you know. It's, it's basically the difference. Now, was there a, a moment or a meal or something that happened from 87 to the next few years that was like a life-changing moment? Because your restaurants, Pak Pak, are beyond famous now. You're famous. You're on all different TV shows. I was stoked to interview you. Was there a moment in Thailand, whether it be in Chiang Mai, Bangkok, wherever, that was like a, like, oh shit moment for you? There's been several oh shit moments, and I still have them to this day. But, you know, the first one was probably... Um, I guess the the very first one would have been in '87. I got out, I was waiting at a bus stop uh, for a, a bus to go to. I can't remember. It was somewhere down south. I was going from like um, uh, Surat Thani to Kosamui or something, and, and we're kind of stuck in this little bus depot. And I ordered uh, a green curry because that's what I knew to order. Right? And that's, they have an English language, and one of the things they had was green curry, so I ordered that. And it was entirely unlike a green curry that I'd had in the States. And, you know, at that point, you know, 30 years ago, Thai food was relatively new to the United States. It was there, but it wasn't really popular. So um, I had this green curry, and uh, it, was, it wasn't thick and goofy. It wasn't really sweet. It was more like a coconut soup with chicken and some shallots and some, uh, some herbs chopped up into it. And it was blazingly, blazingly hot, but like really <laughs> addictive. And I got, I kind, I, I sweated my way through it with two bowls of rice and and a, you know three or four 
uh, drinks of, of soda pop or something. And I got to the bottom, and there was, you know, it was probably like six or eight chilies licensed in it. And um, that was just like that was like a, a big eye opener for me. It was like, wow, Thai food is in, in, in what I took from it was like, geez, first of all, it's not like the Thai food I had back in the States. And second of all, man, that was fucking hot. Am I allowed to say that? So, <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Um, um, and, uh, so that was the first one. And, but the, the most, the, the one that led me to opening restaurants eventually, I think was probably, uh, coming to Chiang Mai, and getting taken out by my friend that I was telling you about, Chris, and his wife, Lakana, took me to have a local dish. Uh, and this was, I think this was in April or May, and there's a particular wild mushroom that grows called Het Top. It's kind of like a bitter puffball mushroom, and they make a soup out of it. And they brought me to this restaurant, and I had this dish, and it had, like, tamarind leaves in it, so it was kind of sour, and the mushrooms were a little bit bitter. And then there was some pork in it and a bunch of herbs. And it was unlike anything I'd had anywhere, let alone Thailand. It totally turned um, what I thought Thai food was on its head. Because, you know, when we go to eat Thai food in America, you know, especially back then, 20 years ago, 23 years ago, it was the rainbow curries and the the stir-fried cashews and stuff like that. And this wasn't anything like that at all. Now, I, I tell you, I, I just want to sit back and listen to you talk about food. You have such passion for it. Now, you get this idea now, I just want to fast forward a little bit, to start a restaurant, Northern Thai food. Why Portland? Because I lived there. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really think of it as, I didn't think, well, I'm going to open the North, and I didn't even actually think I was going to open a Northern Thai restaurant, to be honest with you. I, I opened, what I opened Pok Pok as was kind of like, it was a chicken shack in the yard of a house that I'd bought that had a commercial kitchen in it. And I, you know, I, I, the reason I opened it is because I'd gone through a couple of careers. I'd been a, you know, I'd been working in the kitchen for a long time and I finally left the kitchen. I went and I, I became a house painter for a number of years, like almost 10 years. Uh, <clears throat> during that time, I learned a bunch of building trades and then I got sick of being a house painter, didn't want to be a general contractor. And the only thing I really knew was restaurants and I'd always wanted to open a restaurant. So I kind of uh, just did it, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I know I don't want to work for anybody else ever again. Um, and the only other thing I really know how to do is cook. So uh, I just rolled the dice and did it. So you said the chicken was the first, I guess you had to have that on the menu. And when did you start expanding? And were you nervous that people weren't going to accept this new cultured food? This isn't the Thai food I know. Did that ever uh, scare you? Um, I Well, the thing is, I, I opened Pok Pok as as Little Shack, and the shack is still there, still in Portland. It's still sitting there. Um, and we're still serving basically the same eight things out of there that we did before. We've just expanded the menu into the into the main restaurant. Um, operated that for a year, and I figured that people like chicken, right? People like chicken. People like grilled chicken. And um, I think that people will like papaya salad, uh, and I think that they'll like satay, and I think that they'll like this this uh, noodle dish from Chiang Mai called kalsai, um, which is a, a coconut curry noodle soup. So, you know, I 
the reason I thought they would like it is because I'd been to Thailand so many times and had it so many times, and there were no barriers there. It didn't. It wasn't like the, the food that I was going to serve wasn't like weirdly flavored. It wasn't funky. It didn't have like a load of shrimp paste in it or rotten fish or uh, you know lots of little pin bones and stuff smashed up. It was it was accessible. It was just that you didn't see it as much at that point. Um, so I, my calculation was that people would like it. Uh, and then I had no idea how popular it would become. I figured that I would be able to hopefully make a living at it and be able to travel uh, in the winter. That was kind of my plan. Was there a so, moment when you... Yeah, I'm sorry, Andy. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Was there a moment that you knew you had something special? Like when the line started getting longer, a few magazines, was there a moment like, wow, I got something here. This is special. Not really, to be honest with you. It it maybe years later, but you know, for the first several years and still to this day, I've got my head stuffed so far on my ass trying to keep trying to keep the place going that I didn't really have time to kind of countenance what was happening for, you know, at least the first three or four years. Um, around the time somebody told me that I'd been nominated for a James Beard Award, uh, which I didn't even know existed, uh, I, I was kind of like, oh, um, that's interesting. What is the James Beard Award? So I looked it up and I was like, oh, Christ, there's this whole, like, and really, honestly, I had my head, I wasn't like in the kind of like, quote, chef scene, you know, before I opened the restaurant. It wasn't like I was like hanging out with a bunch of chefs and we were all planning to open restaurants. I just kind of did this. And um, I learned about that whole thing after the restaurant had been up and rolling for a few years. Uh, so I guess there, there were two points where I was like, wow, for a minute I was able to go, wow, this is really, something's happening here but I had to go right back underwater. One, one of them was when uh, we got named Restaurant of the Year in the Oregonian in Portland. But, you know, we immediately got so crushed with business that I, I had to, like, go back underwater and I didn't come up again for another year. Um, and, you know, to the, here, here's the thing, Michael. The, the, the truth is that the restaurant business on the outside, there's this sort of... Uh, sort of kind of like uh, celebrity that's happening these days with chefs and restaurants and stuff like that that didn't exist when I was growing up and when I was learning to cook and everything. And so mostly what people see from the outside is the, the sort of like the food porn and, the, the you know, the glamorous and the travel photos and, and like, you know, who's doing what, who got what awards. But the truth of the matter is that the restaurant business is just like any other, um, you know, industry. It's and and a, as a an owner, you're fraught with uh, with all the, the same issues with running a business. Uh, like if you run a plumbing business, the same kind of thing. So there's all this kind of like ugly stuff that's in the background, but it actually takes up seventy percent of your energy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course. So, now, Andy, um, yeah. No, I'm sorry, because I'm telling you, I live in Manhattan, and I've been to Park Park in Brooklyn eight times. What made you choose Brooklyn, which I know it's becoming more of a haven now food, over Manhattan? That always fascinated me with that. Like, you're coming here, big name. And I remember when the place opened up a few weeks later, the Sunday Post or News had a huge article about it. What made you choose Brooklyn? 
Well, first of all, thanks for going in and, uh, and eating there. I appreciate that. Um, the reason that I chose Brooklyn was um, first was economical. Like I couldn't, I, I'd come to New York and I was hanging out in New York for you know six months before we pulled the trigger and, and negotiated a lease at least. Um, and you know, I was talking to people there in Manhattan. I was talking to brokers. I was looking at rents, and I I was like, man, it, this is like brutally expensive here in Manhattan, and um, I couldn't make the numbers work for the amount of money I wanted to charge for the food. And then the other part of it is that a lot of what we do at Pock Pock has to do with cooking on charcoal. Okay. And New York is, is, is uh, there's life safety issues. And, you know, cooking on charcoal in Manhattan is very, very difficult. Um, and so in Brooklyn, I found a few things. Number one, I found that I was more comfortable there myself uh, from a cultural standpoint. I, I just, like... I, I like the vibe there. Um, second, the rents were were affordable, especially in the neighborhood that, that you know that we're in right now. And third, we were able to do what we could, what we wanted to do, which was to build an outdoor cooking area and be able to deliver the food that we were delivering in Portland. Uh, so all those factors added up, and um, you know, it it's really. Uh, it, it's a different city, right? I mean, we're, we're all, it's all the boroughs and stuff like that. But Manhattan, Manhattan and, and Brooklyn, to me anyway, are a very different city. Oh, they're completely different. It's not even the same. Yeah. It's like two different countries. It really is. Yeah, honestly, yeah, you're right. It's 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 just an entirely different thing. So to me, uh, Brooklyn just made more sense to me. Okay, I'm talking to the great Andy Ricker. Andy, I find it. This is something I guess a lot of people do. I guess. You pigeonhole different – so I interview mostly athletes, and I don't mean to, but you pigeonhole them. I have on a Super Bowl champion. All I want to talk about is football and Super Bowl, yet there's so much more to them. So just give me a few minutes of your time. I have a few personal questions that I'm just curious about from you, from seeing you on TV and reading your interviews. Like you went from – I know you were in a band, and then you played – I guess you were a skier. Like you, you don't just cook Thai food. That's not your whole life. So Andy Ricker – where does he go for a few drinks and then some food in New York City? Ah, okay. So I I live in Sunset Park. Um, I I got a, a a little apartment there a couple of years ago that I bought, and um, I live ne- right next to the park actually in Sunset Park. And that neighborhood is fascinating to me. There's like a uh, huge Chinese population there. I'm, I'm kind of like between the Chinese population and the Hispanic population. So there's all these fantastic eateries uh, up and down the streets there. Uh, so for, to go out to eat, um, you know, I could walk down the block and go to Ba Zhuyen, uh, uh Mi shop for breakfast. Uh, I can go to a Fujian uh, fish restaurant at night for dinner. Uh, or I could go to a Yunnanese uh, place to have crossing the bridge noodles. Um, or I can go and have dim sum at one of the, the three big dim sum places in Sunset Park. Um, or I can go and have hot pot at Mr. Hot Pot when it's cold outside. Um, and for a drink in the neighborhood, there's a little place called Soccer Tavern. It's on like 8th and about 60, I want to say 60th approximately. Uh, and it's just it's a throwback. It's an Irish pub that that plays soccer on the TV, and it's it's uh 
you walk in and there's a bunch of old Irish folks there, and then there's a bunch of Chinese folks there, and and uh, it's it's just like a, a really friendly pub, and people are there's the Chinese guys are barbecuing in the back, and and everybody's drinking beer and watching sports. It's you know I'm not much of a sports bar guy, but but that that place I really like. I used to work in Sunset Park. It's a really cool area, and I think Eighth Avenue separates the Hispanic side from Mex uh, from the Chinese side. I think is it Eighth Avenue or Sixth Avenue? Actually, it's it's further down, so um, Sixth Avenue is, I think, is kind of the dividing line at this point, more or less. Now, my favorite episode, and you probably get this a lot, of Parts Unknown, is when you and Bourdain, you and him just ate and drank your way throughout Chiang Mai, just going to local places. How much fun was that to shoot? And is he that, I hate to sound like a fan, quote-unquote, is he that cool off camera? Because when I watched that, I'm like, I would have done anything to be the third man, the third wheel in that crew. Was that just a fun episode and a fun time to to film that? Yeah, it, w- it was really fun. And the way it came about was that um, I'm writing another cook. I've written a cookbook that's been out for a while now, a couple of years, and I'm in the midst of writing another one. And the one that I'm writing now is about uh, drinking food in Thailand. And one of the ideas that I had was like, let let me contact some of the people I know in the food world and see if they're willing to go somewhere in Thailand with me and and you know drink and eat for for a night and we'll document it. It was kind of a you know a seat of the pants idea, but I pitched it to Tony, and he was like, yeah, we'll tell you what, why don't we make it an episode of uh, Parts Unknown, and uh, you know we can kill two birds with one stone. I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. Uh, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, great. Um, so, you know, essentially I got to pick all the places I wanted to go with him. And, uh, you know, I, the agendas was, was number one, to have a good time. Number two, uh, to show him around a part of Thailand in a type of food that he hadn't ha- had here in Thailand. And also, um, you know, to to make good TV and also to have material for the book. Uh, so everything was accomplished. And, and you know, Tony is exactly as he appears on camera is exactly the way he is. He really doesn't. I mean, I I think he has. He says he has the best job in the world. Um, I think he has the best job in the world. And what's great about it is it, it all he has to do is be himself. You know, and, and be on camera. And he he it's a great job. Now, you're in Sunset Park. You're having friends over for dinner. I'll accept the invitation now. What's your go-to meal to cook? What are you cooking for a group of friends that are coming over? Um, it, it really it would depend wildly. I think that if we were talking about doing something, you know, maybe Thai, I would uh, do uh, a sort of a kalpom setup, where kalpom is, it means boiled rice uh, or rice soup. Um, and there's these kalpom restaurants here where, you uh, order an array of sort of Chinese Thai uh, dishes to eat with a, a bland rice soup, and I, I really love that. It's a great it's a great way to 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 uh, kind of have a group meal. So you'd have like uh, rice porridge, and then maybe you'd have a deep fried sweet Chinese sausage and a, uh, uh, eggs and tofu that have been stewed in a five spice broth and uh, an eggplant that had been stir-fried with ground pork and red chilies and um, Thai basil. Uh, perhaps a 
uh, gangjut or a mild soup that has seaweed in it, um, and a, a salted duck egg salad with ginger and, and chilies and lime juice and palm sugar. Just an array of dishes that you eat with this. Uh, and then, and then a, a really spicy green chili garlic uh, cilantro root dipping sauce. Wow. Okay, um, I'll be there. I'll be there when you get back from Thailand, then, Andy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. A couple of questions, because I've seen and read a lot of pieces on you. Like I, I promise, I promise, not in a stalking way. But what drives you to be so meticulous and using such time-consuming methods to cooking this fantastic food, when truthfully, 95% of the people would never know the difference if you took a little shortcut. What drives you to be so? I guess like obsessive with the food to make sure it's that perfect. Is that just a uh, character your person you are? Well, first of all, I'm a Capricorn, so I don't know if that tells you <laughs> anything or not. My mom's into astrology. I don't really know what it, I, I just say that to, to be funny, but it's, you know, um, I've, I've always been kind of a perfectionist type person to start with. It's just in my personality, but more, more important than that is that I've, spent the last 20 some odd years learning this food from people who really like take pride in what they do and do things really, really well. And there's, you know, we're we're talking about a food that has history, long history and tradition. And I want to honor that. That's basically it. It's like, I, you know, I could, I could come here and go, I'll take that idea and incorporate it into something that, that I put my stamp on and make it all chefy. Um, and a lot of people do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's just that's not my path. The path that I chose was to go. Look, here's this food. It's underrepresented in the states. I care deeply about it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I want you to try it, um, and hopefully contribute to the conversation of elevating Thai food out of the realm of commodity uh, food that that you 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 order on the telephone and you get this giant pile of food for cheap. Um, you know, I just want to show that in, in some way, and, and I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not the only person doing this. And by, by far, I'm not, I'm not like the expert guy, but like just saying, Hey, here's, here's Thai food has potential to be so much more than uh, to go pad Thai with chicken breast in it. And, you know, I, it's, I feel like, um, when I started out doing this cooking 10 years ago, um, the situation in the United States was different than it is now. I think we're far more uh, adventurous as a, as a, uh, an entire culture, as far as food goes. I think there's far more available to us than there was 10 years ago. And, um, you know, the, the message that I've been hammering away at is starting to become a little bit faded, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> It's not as important anymore to me, or or it's not as important anymore, I think, in general, because there's just so much more available now. Was there ever a food, a particular food, or maybe a meal or dish that you really wanted to bring to Pak Pak, but you couldn't because you didn't have the local ingredients or means or methods to have to have it readily available whenever you wanted? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a fantastic dish here that involves young jackfruit and um, called uh, tamkanun. And it's basically a you take young jackfruit, which is uh, kind of more of a vegetable at, at that state of its ripeness. Later on, it becomes a very um, kind of um, fragrant tropical fruit. Um, 
but in its early life, it's kind of more like, uh, kind of like a artichoke almost in texture. Um, and, and you pound it into a, a dipping, uh, like a paste, and then prick. And um, the problem is I can't find a, a steady uh, kind of supply of fresh young jackfruit. So I'm kind of screwed on that. You can get jarred, get it in the jar, you can get it in the can, but it's never as good. So, you know, that's that's the deal. If, if there's something I really want to do and I just can't get the, the ingredients for it, I just won't do it. Okay, two more questions with the great Andy Rick. I'm having a great time, and I, I was stoked the whole day to interview you. I have your cookbook, and I read in another article that you said you're not a traditional or, I guess, authentic Thai chef. I think everyone disagrees with that after going to your restaurant, but I don't get it. What makes you say that you're not, I guess, a traditional or uh, authentic Thai chef? I think that those two words are fraught with with uh, with very specific meanings for for different people. Um, if you say traditional. Tradition is a, an elastic uh, thing, as is um, authentic. Uh, I don't know what your what your background is, but maybe you have a grandmother who who had a particular recipe from a partic- particular ethnic background, and you've eaten that since a kid. And to you, that's that's your golden standard of authentic and traditional. But your buddy that you sat next to in school also had a grandmother who made the same dish but made it differently. And to him, that's the gold standard of authentic and traditional. Right? So, yeah, but that's a, that's a really um, good answer. <laughs> basically, I, I don't have a Thai grandmother. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I don't have, I don't have that uh, sort of... I don't have a way of saying this is authentic and traditional because I don't have a tradition here. All I can say is, look, here's a recipe that I learned from this person. And I'm not claiming that it's the most traditional or the best or anything like that. I'm just saying that this this exists and it's really good and you should try it. And it's it's a recipe that's been around for a long time. But but fall short of saying traditional and authentic. That actually makes total sense. Now, Andy, here's how I end every show. I always put this question out there. You and I, we're at a bar, we're hanging out down in Sunset Park, and you want to impress everyone in the bar. Besides telling everyone to Google you, go to your restaurant, if you take out your phone, who's the coolest <laughs> Who's the coolest person in your phone that you can text, and they'll text you right back to impress somebody? Who's the coolest cat in your phone? The coolest cat in my phone? Um, the person I think is the coolest uh, would well, be David Thompson. Okay, what about what everyone else right. would think? <laughs> no, I'm just oh, oh, okay. So I see. Um, <laughs> well, I I I can't tell because that would be that would be immodest of me. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, bro, thank you so much for calling in, man. I had a great time. You're calling all the way from Thailand, man. I can't thank you enough. And just so you know, like when I I was coming back from Colombia, and I was saying I want to branch out and interview different people besides just athletes. Athletes. I've had a hundred different athletes on the show. And all I wanted to do was talk to you and Bourdain. I wrote to you, and within an hour, you wrote back, man. I can't thank you enough for that, man. It shows what kind of person you are, and your restaurant's just awesome. And wait, how's the one in uh, Los Angeles doing? We're, it's coming along. we got some work to do, but uh, I think we'll, we'll get it together eventually. It takes a while. Restaurants are, are a work in progress always.
My man, thank you so much. I'm going to tweet this interview out if you don't mind retweeting it so I can feel cool that I'm on your page, all right? <laughs> Will do. Andy, thank you so much, man. Have safe travels and uh, have fun out in Thailand. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, bro. Bye-bye. The awesome Andy Ricker. Um, like I said, I do sports, documentaries, authors, locked up abroad people, some celebrities. I find him so fascinating. And it's not the chef thing that's just, oh, I'm a chef, I'm on TV. And his restaurant is out of control. It's in Brooklyn. It's, I was there on Friday. It was probably one of the best. It's one of my favorite restaurants in the city. They have this like crazy pork belly and pork shoulder coconut curry. It's top two or three meals I've ever had in my life. But he's a celebrity. He is. He has an awesome cookbook. He's on... I think he was on three different episodes with Anthony Bourdain, who I should have asked, I should have put him on the spot. That's the other guy I need. I need Andy Ricker, Anthony Bourdain on my show. Maybe in my apartment, then they can make them cook for me. Everyone, thank you for listening. Have a good night.